Hey everybody, uh, another From the Vault episode this week. Uh, it was not our intention to do them this close together, um, but you know, shit happens. Uh, I'm going to be living out of a hotel for a little bit here, uh, so it just makes sense to, to go ahead and do another one of these uh, previously patron-exclusive episodes and go ahead and release it in the main feed. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it last time. Uh, this time was really fun too. We're actually covering Fahrenheit 451, the 1966 film by Francois Truffaut. Um, and we kind of get into it in this episode. We get to talk about French New Wave, which I was really excited about, just as like, you know, for film history and for, um, you know, revolutionary cinema. This is this is the period that like, if you're interested in any of that, read up on it, watch whatever you can, because this, this defined what filmmaking is today. Yeah, and I uh, got to learn a lot about it in this episode. I think it came out a year ago, so um, it's, a little, it's a little older now, but um, I remember it fondly. I mean, I learned about some French New Wave stuff. I think we also talk about sort of the nature of art and, uh, you know, reality TV versus like highfalutin literary stuff, and then genre fiction in the middle there, and we kind of break it all down. It really was a, a pretty cool conversation when I listened back to it. So um, we thought it'd be a good one to share with everybody. This is, a, again, a look at uh, what the kind of episodes that we do on our Patreon feed. Uh, we release a new episode every month on there that tends to be either like this is an alternate adaptation of a book that we covered, or sometimes we do sequels or, um, you know, in anything that's like sort of adaptation adjacent will you know will cover on the patreon feed so if you like this episode consider uh becoming a patron and check it out and see what other stuff we've covered on there and you can get that for just two bucks yeah and we really appreciate the financial support just because it helps Absolutely. us to continue and and like upgrade our gear and that kind of thing we're trying to reinvest everything we get into the podcast um you mentioned that we talked about form in the episode so i just wanted to quickly mention um sort of like some maybe some stuff that we touched on in the episode but some french new wave stuff um i do want to mention for one that agnes varda a figurehead of french new wave only two months after this episode this bonus episode was released um sadly passed away from cancer um she was absolutely one of the most revolutionary female directors up to that point and led the way for a lot of females going forward and and for women in cinema and so she's just uh very important to sort of cinema as a whole. So to see her pass was sad. Um, and, you know, this this podcast episode that you'll be listening to took place before that, or I'm sure we would have talked about it. Um, I do. I want to talk about form a little bit just because the, the this idea of cinema before French New Wave and after French New Wave, like we got to see films before French New Wave were kind of becoming stale to like a younger generation. They felt like it was like their their parents cinema. It was sort of like um, establishing shots followed by two shots and then close-ups of like like uh, reverse shots and that sort of thing. Just very formulaic. And what f what French New Wave brought to the table was was just the complete opposite of it. It was taking all the conventions and throwing them out the window and being experimental wherever possible. And whereas I think a lot of those early films in, pre the French New Wave were sort of you could probably empathize with the characters and you could relate to them in these in the films before the French New Wave. But the French New Wave became like the personalization of film where. You know, maybe it's not the it's not the story that you've lived through your life. Maybe it's not the viewpoint that you've had. But we're getting a look into somebody's somebody's story. So if you've ever watched a film that's very personal in nature, 
Um, for instance, Francois Truffaut's basically the, one of the films that started the French New Wave, The 400 Blows, is, is almost entirely a true story of like how he grew up. And it's very close to him in that way. So it's very personal. So uh, I, I just thought that it's worth mentioning again how, how important this French New Wave movement is. And, and if you're interested in cinema and you're interested in film history at all, absolutely go read as much as you can about it and you know watch all of the films because they really did shape every filmmaker that you love today this sort of the idea that, that the, the the filmmaker could be an auteur and they could use the camera as a writer uses the pen to sort of write a story and and be be experimental and do something different and have their own sort of style uh that's what the french new wave did for cinema so with all that wow. being said hopefully that's n- not too long but i definitely wanted to like also <laughs> add this on to to this episode yeah, and if you like that, uh, you James definitely gets into more of it. So if you're kind of a, a cinema nerd, definitely check it out. Uh, and and also if you're a Ray Bradbury fan, and and maybe you were disappointed that we didn't cover this originally. You know, we just covered that new HBO adaptation because um, I know this one's been around a long time. I remember watching it in school and stuff, which we get into. Um, so yeah, hopefully you check it out. Um, hopefully you enjoy it. Um, if not, or even if so, we will be back next week with Return of the King. Um, so if you want to get started reading for that, you know, now's your chance. We're going to do it. We're going to do the real deep dive into the Return of the King. We're going to cover it over three episodes, uh, the book itself, followed by a fourth episode for Peter Jackson's gigantic four-hour epic movie, um, which we'll be watching the extended version of, I'm sure. So yeah, gleefully. Uh, look forward to that. <laughs> I'll be very excited to do that. Yeah, I know, and, and it'll be capping off, um, which I, th- I guess at that point will be 12 episodes of Lord of the Rings coverage, um, so pretty epic in and of itself. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, right now, there's a lot of crazy shit going on in the world, and I'm looking forward to getting into something that's like uh, feels kind of warm and fuzzy, and Lord of the Rings always does that for me. So that being said, uh, here is our previously patron-exclusive episode that is going to be unlocked for the main feed. Enjoy. This movie was really surprising. I, I had seen it um, in, I think, middle school many a year ago, and I barely remembered it. I think I must have fallen asleep during class or something, because I there were big parts of that movie where I'm like, I don't think I saw any of this, uh, or I was just not paying attention. So I had only like, I didn't realize that you seen, seen it. this movie. That was it. Right. How about you? So yeah, just, just for reference, we're talking about Fahrenheit 9... Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, not Fahrenheit uh, 9/11. That's a different movie. <laughs> That's a totally different movie. <laughs> yeah, but no, Fahrenheit 451. It's the 1966 Francois Truffaut. That's right. Version. Yeah. Yeah, I asked you just very briefly before we started recording how much you knew about the director. Nothing. You said nothing. So this will be this will be fun. Yeah. So this will be fun little bit of context. I here. feel like you had a little gleam in your eye, so I'm excited to see what that's all about. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, just to start off, I had I had seen it, but it had been such a long time that I didn't remember it. Do you remember when, like, when you saw it? Was it in school too? It, yeah, it must have been. Oh no, it was it was in college, probably like oh, okay, beginning of college. So I saw it a lot longer ago than you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would have seen it. Yeah, in like t- t- 2011 or so. Oh, yeah, man, this would have been like in the 90s, <laughs> maybe. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, let's just start off with our, with our thoughts on the movie, and then we'll get into kind of the context of the movie. So just real quick, for um, I think we should probably not go real deep into plot. Um, if you want to hear the plot of this movie, it's mostly similar to the book. It's very faithful, um, except for a few major departures, which we'll talk about the departures. 
But if you want to hear us get into the minutia of the plot, I would recommend going back to those episodes we did on the book. Um, and then you can decide if you want to pass or not on the movie episode for the new movie. I think it might be fun to listen to because it was bad and we we had we had fun talking about how bad it was. I, I honestly like can't even imagine having to watch that movie again. <laughs> it's just not very good. I just yeah, it was such a bummer. Well, we uh, this movie was better. This was a better adaptation of, of the source material. I think I think clearly, clearly better. Right. Hugely dated, but better. <laughs> yeah, it's dated. I mean, when it tried to go big, it yeah, it flopped pretty hard. Like the uh on the, that that scene where uh the guys are coming on their little jetpacks. Oh, that's, that's my I, favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> I, love, I almost I love died that movie. when I saw that. <laughs> it's so good. So funny. <laughs> but I mean, overall, like it's an entertaining watch, right? Like yeah. like surprisingly so, right? Because it's a it's a movie that came out in the 60s about and when did the Bradbury book come out? Like the 30s? I think 50s, 40s, 50. I don't remember off the top of my head. I want to say it was 50. It came out 53. 53? Yeah, 53. So yeah, so this was, yeah, so that was 13 years after the book came out, Uh, which just before I forget it, uh, I love at the end, they're they're talking about books that are being preserved and somebody says, I'm Ray Bradbury's Martian Chronicles, which I know that was funny. It was so good. That's actually probably my favorite Ray Bradbury novel. Um, it's kind of a collection of short stories. Absolutely love it, and it was so cool. I, I think that was like a, a huge shout out from the from the director, right? Yeah, I think it was like a clear little yeah little cameo moment. But yeah, I mean overall, I don't think it broke any boundaries. I don't think it did anything really that new as a film, uh, for, even, even for, for that, that time, time period. I would say even for that time period. Um, but I mean, I think it's it's watchable. I, I like I enjoyed it, and I would recommend people check it out if they if they want a better version of it than the the newer one. Yeah, the costuming uh, is 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 something. You're gonna have to get over how silly these guys look in their helmets. And uh, I gotta say, it almost feels that almost feels like a little bit. Even though you know I wasn't around when it came out, but it almost feels iconic. Like it almost when I look at it, it doesn't bother me much just so, because I feel like it works for me. One of the things I noticed that makes them makes them so striking is that unlike the oppressive everything's nighttime and everything's rainy and dark all the time in the hbo movie uh this movie is incredibly bright everything is Mm -hmm. bright it's all i feel like it all takes place during the day all the colors are very bright and vibrant um Mm -hmm. and it's it's almost supposed to be garish i think I mean, like, just think of that, like, how bright red that fire truck is. Like, I don't know. There's just a lot of really vibrant colors. And then you have these guys in these very drab black uniforms with these brown helmets. To me, it feels like a kind of like a staple of sci-fi during that time period, though. Like, I feel like that was that was like, I don't know if it was like to be clinical or whatever it was, but it it felt very like this is sci-fi in the 60s or this is sci-fi in the 50s to me. I guess I don't. I haven't watched enough sci-fi from those from those decades to really know. All I know is this predates this predates Star Wars, which so much of what we think of of as sci-fi has been affected by Star Wars, right? Um, yeah, totally. When did the original run of Star Trek go on? That was probably going the sixties. That, right? That's what I was gonna. I was gonna actually bring up Star Trek because. If you think about that and you think about how bright it was, how colorful it was, yeah. it kind of like puts it into context that that sort of like sci-fi look that they had back and then. And that's the other really like so there's a lot of fun ways to enjoy this movie that aren't like really narrative ways. It's more just um through the lens of time it's funny to me to look back and and see like their imaginings of the future. Um and some of that's so funny, right? 
I like like the headphones. I think in the '60s, headphones were probably still on the like on their way up. Well, I mean, earbuds, not over ear headphones, definitely existed back then. Yeah, he uh, he basically predicted that. That's something we talked about, and and I, I I liked it that they made an appearance. Now, the one thing I, I'm realizing, there was no professor in this version, um, who like talks him through through his ear and reads to him at night and stuff, right? Like that didn't happen right. in this movie. Mm-mm. That's interesting. Probably so just time. That was related. the plotline that was cut, but we got the wife plotline that was cut from the HBO movie. So if I was going to put you on the spot, which was the better? Like if you were a director and you had to cut one of those plot lines for your film for your ad- adaptation, which one do you think was the better one to cut? Like what what was more necessary to the story? I don't know, man. I I think it just would depend on the kind of story you were trying to tell because wife is more like introspective like character development character story and then and then the professor has a lot more plot relevance and like you could see it being more feasible for him to like learn and and be like swayed into you know liking books and wanting to protect his knowledge you know i think i liked now it it might be affected by what we saw in these two movies but from a story perspective i think whatever fits my at least it fits my sensibilities more i think i liked having the wife in there um, I'm not 100% behind everything that went on with that character, but in general, I liked his home life. I think that was something I talked about in the new HBO version. Um, Montag had no home life, right? Mm-hmm. And I found that so lacking. Like he was so, like he was he was so boring for that. Like he had nothing and and no interpersonal relationships. And and seeing Montag's home life with his wife, I think, is so essential to that character feeling like a real person. Because otherwise he's very mechanical, especially early on. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, I think that it does a lot for that character. I think it shows what the average citizen is like in a very like um, personal way. Because it's someone who you're living with, uh, and and yeah, that was I think lacking. Yeah, I think that the the wife does give a good. It gives the character more, a lot more depth. So. Do you want to talk about Truffaut a little bit? Do you want to get some of this yeah, info? So, so if you don't think this movie was that groundbreaking, then uh, let's let, tell me about Truffaut. I, f- I have a feeling that's a controversial opinion. <laughs> I, no, I don't think so. Don't think so? I, I mean, no, especially you'll hear like, tell me what you think after you hear everything that went down. So, um, so to talk about Truffaut, first, let's start with the French New Wave. So the French New Wave was a movement in like the 50s that went on and basically it was French filmmakers during that time period looking at cinema and like the kind of world of cinema and the language of cinema and seeing where it was at and and not being happy with it and realizing that they didn't feel like they could tell their personal stories as directors in kind of the studio situation that that was going on at the time so a lot of a lot of films were like very broadly appealing safer stories not very uh challenging and so basically just spoon feeding you At the end of the day it's kind of like cut and dry cookie cutter mm-hmm. so they saw this and they they rebelled against it and so the french new wave was is i think i think every film student film teacher would tell you that the french new wave is the is the most important film movement other than like the weimar period in uh german expressionism but i would say like the french new wave is right there it's probably the most important film movement that's happened in the history of cinema okay Truffaut is is like the godfather of the French New Wave movement. Him and like Godard were very instrumental in in kind of pushing this this movement along. And like the films that came out, like the Four Hundred Blows, uh, is a film that Truffaut directed. It was his directorial debut, and it 
kind of was that like that watershed moment where it, it like f- from then on French filmmakers were trying to make new wave films. So, I mean, just for, just to like put him in the pantheon of filmmakers, he, he, I would say he's like as important as somebody like Hitchcock to like an American audience. He's that important to a French audience, but then that French new wave went across the world and, and everyone was influenced by French new wave. The we've, I've talked a lot about the bearded directors in the seventies, like the new Hollywood era, mm-hmm. uh, when, when, you know, younger filmmakers were coming in and studying the greats. This is one of the ones that they look at. Godard is definitely right there with him, but Truffaut and the French New Wave influenced how filmmaking would go, would carry on, period. So, because some, some of the aspects of, of French New Wave to kind of give you an idea is discontinuous editing, so jump cuts, basically, in order to draw attention to something. Another thing that they would do is they would... Um, like the visual style of the, of the time was kind of two shots and then cut to a close up, cut to a close up. Uh, what they do, what they would do is, is they, you know, like the long takes that you see like a Spielberg do or something like that, where you're following a character, they would basically be breaking the rules in order to draw attention to something. Basically just a way of like taking the, their own like personal stories and bringing everything that was like larger than life at the time and kind of like broadly appealing and bringing it to like a more uh, personal level is is the best way I can describe the French New Wave. Okay. So it just sounds to me like mixing it up, trying new things, re-examining what is commonly held to be the way it is kind of stuff in filmmaking. So, yeah. That, and that, that movement carried through like t- even today, like, you know, there, like Quentin Tarantino hugely draws on like, like Pulp Fiction is a, basically a French new wave film. Interesting. Uh, with the disjointed editing and, and the way that you're telling a narrative story completely out of order. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there's literally shots in Pulp Fiction that, that he stole from, from Truffaut. It's an homage. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely an homage. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's exciting. So, so, but this movie isn't one of those m- films. Is that what you're telling me? Basically, to get to this film, he he had directed like four films or so, and all of them French New Wave, all of them French language films, and then he decided to do this adaptation, and he went and shot it in Pinewood in the UK, and basically, from what I was reading, he said that that it was the saddest and most difficult of his 21 films that he has in his filmography uh, working on a much larger scale than he ever had before and in sci-fi a genre that he was not very f- familiar with he his a lot of his films were like very like grounded character studies basically and then he goes to this he goes to this sci-fi film that's supposed to be about a lot more than just burning books and uh, I think that I think that the fact that he also didn't speak very much English, Played a, played a part in this film. But it seems to me that he just had frustrations with the studio. He had frustrations with the, the, his actors. and It sounds like it was difficult to make, but uh, I noticed that when I, we pulled it up to watch it, it was an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it seems, I mean, for whatever that's worth, it seems like the consensus is it's a pretty good movie. I mean, so this is the thing. It's, it, it's well made. Because it's Truffaut, but especially, I mean, for the time period. But I think that he, I think that most people would say that if you're going to watch a Truffaut movie, this would be the last one on the list. Okay. 
So it's a good movie, maybe for the time period, but maybe not for the director himself. Maybe he has better movies, is what you're saying. It doesn't have any... I don't think it shows... I mean, there are, there are shots and things in it that I was noticing that, that like brought to my mind the fact that he was so like revolutionary for his time but it, it really I, I i mean there are i'm sure there are people who absolutely love this movie because there there always is but um i don't know i mean rotten tomatoes the 80 percent means the 80 percent of critics that watched it thought that it was better than a six out of ten okay yeah so it's an aggregate score right, right. i think that i think that it definitely has a following and a, and I think that there are people I think when it came out it was definitely panned and then over time it's also gotten a little more leeway and I think people have realized that although it's not too up to the level of his other stuff it's 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 definitely like still a well-made film. So that's all sounds to me like critical consensus stuff. But I want to know what you what you thought of the movie. I feel like I already said it but I didn't really think that it brought anything new. I think that it's it's kind of he read the book and and shot the book and I think that there are definitely some good shot selection. I think that he did some interesting stuff with in terms like technically, but in terms of like changing anything for the story or really like evoking any sort of like underlying arcs. I, I don't really necessarily feel that that it was that strong. Well, I, I would say in particular Montag, um, his performance didn't do a lot for me as far as like really connecting me with the character he felt he, like i said before robotic he felt very robotic throughout the film um mm-hmm. i i don't know he had a, he had he definitely had like a fairly thick accent which i wasn't sure if that was on purpose or not but for whatever reason it was hard for me to really connect with what he was doing and saying but i mean i i still liked him more like, i think part of it is i like this movie more than the new version <laughs> so in that sense i keep thinking of it as a positive like it was like a movie that i enjoyed um, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, like I said, like before, there's a lot of meta stuff I was able to enjoy about looking at an old film, trying to imagine the future about, you know, just like the goofy the scenes that look so goofy now, like those guys flying across the lake on their jetpacks. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a few times like that. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, when when the when they're on the plane, they turn, look at her and say, what do you think, Linda? And then they do this stare. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good like i want to have that in our podcast now where like me and you are talking and then we just all of a sudden what do you think and then like insert the name of the person listening and then just silence <laughs> how that would freak somebody out man we could pull that off <laughs> i actually have to say so i i guess to sum up all of the ways that i feel about this movie within the landscape of like a true faux film i just don't think that it's really worth talking about I mean, there's so much more to talk about with like how how like legendary this guy is, um, but it, it's 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 fine. I enjoyed it. I did, and I like it more than the the HBO film. Yeah, I think that it did its best for the time, and I think that like some of it holds up and some of it doesn't. I I really was fascinated by these fire engines where everybody's just standing on top of it on a moving it's vehicle. Very weird. That, like looking. anyone could fall off at any time, but. Yeah. Uh, just that was one of the many designs of this movie that was just kind of bizarre to me. <laughs> I, and uh, to in terms of like adapting a story, I think he did a good job of basically telling the exact same story that was in the book. Yeah. Although, I mean, there's some major departures that. Uh, uh, so my wife walked in and watched the, like the end of it of it, and she she saw the end and she was like, "That's how it ends." And I was like, "Yeah, that's how that's how the movie ends." But in the book, it was a little different. Um, and and I was reminding myself just how much darker the book is. And, oh, yeah. and I was like, well, so that woman that he meets up with, she dies in the book. <laughs> um, right. And then, uh, you know how there's like the world? 
Well, that blows up in the book. <laughs> and yeah. there's just I, this group and they like go into the rubble to like find survivors or something. And like, that's where the book ends. This is so much darker story, which is weird because I feel like HBO, the HBO one tried to go darker in tone, but missed the mark so much that it's weird. It's like they went dark in all the wrong ways instead of the right ways that the book did. Um, not that the book was perfect, but. I don't know. It was, it was. There were so many weird decisions made with that a- adaptation. I and so when I was watching this, I was hoping that they would go for the uh, the the book ending. I was like, how cool! I mean, although it's going to be cheesy and like they won't be able to pull it off like technically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Can you imagine? I'd love to see <laughs> it actually go down. I mean, this is a movie where a woman gets burned alive without her sweater ever catching on fire. Did you notice that it kept showing her laying yeah. in the fl- in the flames, and her sweater is unburned. <laughs> She's been in there for like. Yeah. 30 seconds 40 seconds a minute so another this is and this is this is i'm just making this argument because i think it's fun uh and i be this isn't even a french new wave film i wouldn't say in a french new wave film sometimes you you go out of your way to draw attention to the fact that that it's a film so you would Mm -hmm. like make a comment about how like uh this is how they do it in the movies and like you would like you would so like they, it's drawing it's like basically raising a flag for the audience. And sure, saying, like, fourth wall breaking movie right now. Almost, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Deadpool ish. Uh, <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> without without talking to you. De- and then Deadpool shows up. You know. Yeah. Very <laughs> common thing in the in French New Wave. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, maybe maybe all of these moments where it's like it seems like like the scene with the the guys that are clearly on wires. Oh, maybe man. that was his way of being like, yeah, you're watching a, mo- a movie. Isn't this ridiculous? <laughs> yeah, maybe. It was definitely absurd. And if you, if he was going for absurdity, because part of the problem is I think I'm so far removed from this movie that I don't have a good feel for like what cinema is like at the time it comes out um, to where right. if a lot of it was supposed to be absurd, I don't know that now. It just looks absurd. Like It looks like out of touch is what I mm-hmm. see now. But I'm wondering if, if a lot of that was intended to be ridiculous for some reason. I'm sure there was a little. I mean, clearly it's it's of its of it, of a certain time. It's of the 60s. But I'm sure that he was also a wink and a nod. Like, I'm sure he was throwing some of that in there because he was that type of director. Well, and if you think there was a lot of choices in the movie that are like that, that are that are that are silly almost. Yeah. No, I mean, knowing what I know about him and, you know, I've only I've seen like three or four of his films of 21, apparently. But knowing what I know about him, he's not the type of guy to just make an adaptation and and play by the rules and do and play it safe the entire way. And yet it feels to me like he made a really safe movie it co- in comparison to his other stuff, which is like it feels if you watch like the like 400, if you watch 400 blows, it still feels like it was just made. Hmm. It's that it's like that. That's how revolutionary that time period was for them like it's still it doesn't it's not dated it could have come out like this year i don't know for him to make this movie and not have it be some sort of like uh like i said like a wink have there should be some some like kind of tongue-in-cheek stuff in there would be kind of interesting there's a couple little things that i just want to talk about with the ncv caught him too um are we to believe and this is what i was getting from it that there's something in these drugs that in particular seems to be affecting women and making them like rub themselves. Did you notice this? I didn't catch that. <laughs> so there was like the couple of times where he would look over at like somebody on the train and she'd be like rubbing her lips or like uh-huh. rubbing her face or rubbing some like her like there's a couple of times women were doing that. And then his wife, after she gets the treatment, 
she was like rubbing her own boobs her chest right yeah yeah um so I thought there was a few times where it looked like women were, and then the, the the guys who who did it said something like, "Oh, she'll be hungry for a lot of stuff," and you know, huge eyebrow waggle, um, mm-hmm. you know, saying mm. that she was going to be all turned on, which makes me think like some drug they give her is doing this. So I Maybe, wonder yeah. if the if there's like an implication that women in society are being like chemically almost subjugated, right? Like turned into more sexual people because of some sort of something in the medicine there because i don't think i ever saw men doing it It was specifically the women so i I don't know if so it's kind of subtextual because they don't ever really draw much attention to it other than that but there was a few times where it'd be like a stranger and she would be doing something like she'd be like rubbing her face or just rubbing her lips or something and it just seemed like there's something was trying to be said there yeah i mean there's something there for sure I feel I what I took the rubbing of the chest to be was just that afterwards, like they had given her a shot or they'd done something in order to make her feel better. Um, and right. she was like realizing that or something. But I, I guess they could be it could have something to do with this this drug because she definitely was like made horny by this drug. Right. Like that was the thing. Yeah. But was it that or was it like a side effect from her coming back? Like, cause like she like OD'd basically. Right. And so like, yeah, but she didn't even know she did. She just woke up hungry and horny basically. Right. And that's what the guys True. told, that's what the guys told Montag was going to happen. Um, yeah. So to me, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Like when I first read that in the, and I think originally in the book, I was like, I thought it was just like a weird side effect of the drug. But uh-huh. when I saw it, when I saw kind of that similar kind of like stare off in the distance and like rub, look on a several different women it made me think that something was being said that like was affecting every all the women in society um i don't know i mean i'd be interested to know if anybody else caught that but uh yeah that was something that i thought i saw (laughs) you know what maybe there's like some sort of commentary on like unfortunately what women's roles were what women were being forced into what roles women were being forced into at the time so maybe it had something to do with like making a statement on saying like like this is what's going on and like we need to shed some light on that or something well definitely uh because because the society that we're shown is very fascist right it's very um it's very controlled it's very authoritarian and mm-hmm. uh, it seems to me like an extremely uh, traditional family unit kind of uh, society has been built. Very much like the men are the ones who go to war. Men are the ones who are serving in the as firemen and all this stuff. And now we talked about maybe some of that with Ray Bradbury was like ingrained into who he was. But I wonder if this director, maybe he didn't, maybe he took it more as like, this is a commentary about society and I can show it as being kind of, you know, toxic or something. And Mm -hmm. playing with that a little bit and showing that maybe these roles are being forced because the 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 governing body in this movie is very mysterious. Right. Like they talk about the war and we get nothing really from that. We we see them covering it up on the news. To me, it felt very like Big Brother, you know, mysterious government um, meddling with everything. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I I think that's 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 what the book is supposed to be, though. So the book yeah. is like that big brother, like telling you what to do and, and like monitoring you and, and yeah. forcing you. I think to there's feel a lot of way. overlap there. I'm just saying that like, if yeah. you did a Venn diagram, I feel like the, the, the film's Venn diagram is, is off a little bit. Like it's saying something slightly mm-hmm. different, but very, very similar. Yeah. Well, I definitely think it's saying something different about this, the, like the roles in society. Um, for sure. I agree with that. 
the the ending i actually all things considered did like how it ended yeah i liked i i kind of enjoyed the way that although although some of it was a little heavy-handed with the pride and prejudice stuff and (laughs) and (laughs) the pride and prejudice uh, twins oh man what a what a twin gag we got there yeah that was so so i mean that was a little heavy but it's funny like because i know several sets of twins in real life and like I feel mm-hmm. bad for them whenever you see something like this in a movie. Like it's such a ridiculous right. concept of what twins are like. That's the that's the question that twins always get asked. Yeah. Like, oh, do you have any sort of t- twin telepathy or anything like that? Yeah, but I mean, like in I mean, in this movie, we see these guys are dressed alike. They finish each other's sentences. They move in unison. They act like they're like the Borg or something. Is really bizarre. <laughs> that's how the twins that I know act. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um yeah, so that was funny. Oh, yeah, so speaking of the ending, um, I, yeah, I think we, we talked about this in, in every version of this story, and, and again, it, it, it was in this one. Um, the idea of memorizing an entire novel. Um, I believe that there are people who can do this. Um, I just don't yeah. believe that, like, everybody can do this if no, given no enough time. I, it is such no. a monumental thing. It'd be so difficult to do. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but this movie did a lot more to convince me that it was possible because he spent mm-hmm. time showing people learning it now i will say most of people learning it was just one person saying a line and the other person saying that line right back to them which Mm -hmm. i'm like okay that doesn't mean you're learning the book (laughs) but maybe if you do that enough times for years on end like you'll finally get it i don't know well like the season changed and he was like you know and and then his grandpa died and all that stuff but yeah i think that 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 part was i like that part i like that it was like I also like the symmetry between the story that they were telling and the old man dying when the snow was coming in. And again, maybe a yeah. little heavy handed, but I did like the the story that was being told with, with him teaching him the story. And But I totally agree. Nobody can. I mean, I'm sure there are people, like you said, but like y- you can't just learn that. You can't just be like, I'm going to I'm going to memorize this book, especially like a big, long novel like many of those are. There's something that I'm just remembering now that occurred to me during the movie. And I think this is fully present in the novel. I just didn't really think about it very closely. And maybe you did. And I don't know if we talked about this or not. But Montag says to his wife that there's a man behind every one of these books. And, of course, we talked about how, like, oh, that's kind of sexist. Many women write novels, too. But I think in the caught up in that thing, I kind of lost, like, the what he was trying to say. Like, there's a person. Um, right? So if you take that, if you take the word man away, you say there's a person behind every one of these books. Um, I think it is really interesting because it's like there's so much emotion and thought and distilled personality that comes out of every writer and they put into a novel and it truly is like this expression of self in many ways. And when you, so when you establish that and then at the end of the novel, you go to a place where now a book is behind every person instead of a person is behind every book. So there's an mm-hmm. interesting symmetry there. And I feel like Bradbury was definitely doing that on purpose. Um, I mm-hmm. just don't know that I fully appreciated it when I read the book right until like this moment where I was like, it kind of clicked for me. I was like, oh, that's a cool right. kind of symmetry uh, of the symbol. So, yeah, I always liked that. I liked the idea that the the books became people and then eventually the people become books again. And they're like, they're going to carry that knowledge through. But something that that kind of came to me is this and and I know that this is like clearly these important works that need, need to be remembered and carried through but the amount of effort and time put into saving these works and just the idea and I was just thinking in terms of like the future 
of of this content, the future of somebody making stories. There's so much there's so much time and effort put into saving these stories. In this in the in this world, it's really interesting to me that like there potentially isn't there aren't a ton of new stories coming out because people are so focused on saving the old ones. Oh, interesting. Well, I think you could argue that news stories in order to have value may need to be created not in a vacuum, but like in dialogue with the older stories, right? And mm. I, and by preserving the past, um, they're able to add to it in a meaningful way. Whereas I think totally disconnected from that, it's going to be very rudimentary, um, right? Probably unimportant stories. Now I'm not saying that like liter- literature could be built from scratch over again, and 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 so you know I mean clearly it could happen. But it just, um, you lose so much when you lose touch of the history of that, right? And, and, and right. you can't, you can't, you can't read something and then write something that's in dialogue with it. So I think people would have the capability, but like be, being able to create new art is probably something that isn't afforded to, uh, most of these, these people in, anymore in the society they're in, right? Cause you really can't write anything down. But it's just funny, yeah. It's like it's like there's gonna be this. Although eventually the art will come back and they'll be able to have all this stuff written down and they can focus on their own ventures. But it's just funny to me that there's gonna be this this period, this like black period where like not much was coming out. But I guess ultimately society was being pushed in that direction anyway. You know what I mean? They were burning. They were trying to completely well eradicate the history of everything. So and, and the novel's more dramatic with like the society being overturned and blown up. And, and now they're going to have to rebuild. Like we see the beginning of their, of the rebuilding kind of taking seed. Right. So, right. Yeah. It's a different place to leave it. Whereas this was more like, it was hopeful in a different way, but it was also this camp was just living separate from greater society that was continuing on in its path of, you know, idiocy. I also feel like this book, like just, or I guess this story, but it, it it keeps making me think about where we're at. And I clearly that's the point of the novel. Yeah. But just thinking about where we're at right now and just the yeah. idea that like, if you talk to people, there's like, there's like a strong, like sizable chunk of people who just don't even read books anymore at all. Yeah. And it's like this idea that that we're getting to this point where people i mean and i i watch a ton of stuff and i'm all for watching stuff but it's almost like to to lose that to lose the text and to lose like actually reading the stories is is uh i don't know it's kind of scary because it's like how much how self-aware can we be as a society right now when we look at a story like this can we realize that like we need to be constantly reading more and yeah and uh you know putting it on a pedestal well so it's one interesting counterpoint to that that i have heard is that people are reading more than ever they're just reading different kinds of text but if you think about it the majority of the things that you do on your phone is reading text but i would say that like the the substance isn't the, oh, yeah. the people who are so say say you're reading like a news article how long did it take them to to formulate the plan of of well, attack of how they were going to write that story? It wasn't written yeah. by an AI. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is like this, like the substance. I don't know. Sure. We also might be losing substance then. Well, and then uh, I think you could also see that the storytelling was being censored, not just in in written form, but I mean, if you looked at the television and what she was watching, it was awful. It was banal, right? Um, well, again, and, that makes me worried about right now 
because there's some stuff on TV, you know what I mean? That's just clearly... Yeah, but I feel like there's a lot of good stuff on TV, too. I feel like there's some great television right now. There's plenty of good stuff, but I'm just saying, like, you're, like, lowest common denominator reality shows. Sure. Where it's, like, very clearly the same thing that he was saying in the 60s and the 50s is happening right now. Sure. And I think that's one of the things that's always going to make this story classic and um, sort of immortal is I think this is going to be a continuing give and take in our like artistic community and our, in our society, Um, you know, between, you know, quality art and sort of that, like uh, just meeting some like base need, right? Like people want to see somebody slip and fall. And so there's like Mm -hmm. tons of shows where it's just people falling um, and you know like i which i hate those shows but you know there are people who like them um and it, so that some of that's like there's like a base need out there and like it fills that and a lot of reality tv is like that right like our need to like see drama and like real life drama and even though it's not real life often in those shows like it's just played up right like who, who's sleeping with who mm-hmm. well, it's gonna get... so i do want to say that like um going t- I'm, go- I'm going off the rails a little bit with my my, my comments here <laughs> realistically i want to say that like you know there's a give and take like if you you can watch those things as long as you're also you know diving into something some, some something of stuff substance that makes you think and makes you uh challenged in some way makes sure. you think in a different way see a different perspective um so i don't i yeah i just don't want to seem like i hate reality tv to that extent no and there's some of it that i i definitely enjoy like it's too, like if yeah. you you can use it as like an escape as well obviously for a little while so so what i was trying to say and i think i got lost in trying to give examples <laughs> is i was trying to talk about how i think there's always going to be like two sides to entertainment like that mm-hmm. and I think there is dangers in it going too far in any one direction, right? Because if it gets too like heady and up its own ass and, and intellectual, it's going to lose people. And then you're going to mm-hmm. have people who feel disconnected from it. And I think that's where genre fiction can come in, right? And help bri- bridge that gap and give like certain identifiable tropes that people want to latch onto and yet can still appreciate like an in-depth story. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's always going to be this kind of give and take between that. And, and if you, you can't go too far in one direction, if you go too far in the other direction, that's what this story is, right? Like it's too far in the like, like anti-intellectualism, anti-literature. Like if you go too far in that direction, it's a disaster. Right. And that's what this right. book's about. Just one more time. I wanted to touch on this. Um, I think there's something, something interesting being said there with, like French New Wave as well, because they were seeing they were in a time where they felt they couldn't express themselves. And then they they went out of their way to to change things and to make sure that things became more intellectual and became more personal. So um, I guess, again, just just to say, if you if you ever look at old films and you wonder how we got to where we are today in terms of like story structure and the way that things are done, check out French New Wave films. And and like there's a lot to learn in there. Cool. All right, man. Well, this is uh, not a full length episode. This is just a bonus. So I think we should probably call it now. Um, that was fun. I'm glad we watched it. I, you know, I had a good time with it and, and actually made me think about the novel in, in some more like kind of new and interesting ways that, that I've enjoyed too. So I kind of want to go back and revisit. Uh, maybe I'll listen to some of our old episodes. <laughs> yeah. See what I thought of it back then. <laughs> I'm definitely uh, like, if you can't tell, I'm definitely like highly motivated to go watch them new wave films now french new that wave was cool films. i got to learn i got to learn about the french new wave which i knew nothing about so 
that was exciting yeah. and hopefully our listeners enjoyed it too uh patrons thank you so much for being a patron uh you literally are keeping this show going and without your you know generosity we wouldn't be able to continue doing this and and we have uh we have some new goals that we talked about on social media and trying to get uh transcripts made for the episodes and we really hope that we can do that um that's definitely something that's important to us so uh yeah thank you for everything you do and for helping us uh along that path definitely thank you guys so much all right uh then i guess until next month thanks for listening